I'm going to get straight into it. Last week, I shared from Hebrews 10, verse 24, 25, if you remember. I didn't actually share. A lot of other people shared words of encouragement, which was really cool. Um, weren't they all great? Everyone who shared did a great job. But I talked about the fact that it says that when we gather together, we get, as pastors, we often get very um, excited about this passage because it's one that we can use to remind people they need to be in church. Isn't that right? Yeah, you've got to be in church. The Bible says, don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. So be in church. And that's true. But we sometimes forget there's a purpose for us being in church. To encourage and build one another up. So I want us to read it again in um, Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25. And this is from the Message Bible where it says, Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshipping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. I don't know about you, but for me, one of the things I learnt during the three months of lockdown and that I was reminded of and that became very apparent to me is that when we gather together like this in a service, it is only one form of the church. It's only one way the church expresses itself. Isn't that right? The church is more than just a service and a meeting. The thing that we learn and we were reminded of is the fact that the church is the body of Christ, the family of God. And the church doesn't just happen one day a week. But because the church is us, the church is you and me. We are the church. The church is the people. We are the church every day of the week. Amen? Every day we are the church. And the church is not limited to a time and a place. The church is us all the time. Greg Boyd says, as Christians, we must never surrender our supreme loyalty to time-bound customs or earth-bound ideas. For at the heart of our universe is a higher reality, God and his kingdom of love. Our highest loyalty, our highest reality needs to be God and his kingdom of love. Online a few weeks ago I shared what this kind of love looks like. If you remember I talked about agape love as the Greeks described it. Now agape love is not a romantic love. It's not a brotherly love even. But it's the type of love God shows us. We define it as unconquerable benevolence. If you remember that, basically it means that it doesn't matter what someone does to me, I will still show them kindness and I will still show them that they are of amazing worth and value through my actions. You see, Jesus, or Jesus didn't, but the Apostle John describes it this way in 1 John 3.16, where he says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave us up his life for us. This is agape love, that someone would lay their life down for someone else. So we also, talking to us, we as his children, as his disciples, ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is the agape love that God has called us to. This is what he's, he's saying and this is what we're, we're wanting to exhibit and in our encouragement as Hebrews tells us is this is what we want to live in 
This is God and his kingdom of love. Um, Martin Luther King, the famous American, talked about the church this way. When he was talking to the church, he's saying, we are called to be a people of conviction, not conformity, of moral nobility, not social respectability. We are called to live differently and according to a higher loyalty. What is that higher loyalty? That higher loyalty is to practice this kind of love. Our higher loyalty is to our God of love and to, and to honour our God of love by living a life of love in response to him. You see, it's not just about us receiving God's love, which is great. Who's received God's love in this place? There's nothing like it. But God gives us his love for a purpose, and the purpose is that we would show that same love to those around us, that we would exhibit that love to the world around us. In John 13.35, Jesus gave this commandment to his disciples, and it's the same for us today. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. How will people know we're disciples of Jesus? By the love we have for one another. So when we gather together in, in worship together, and Hebrews tells us that we should spur each other on and encourage each other to do good works and to, to, to help others out, that's when we're being disciples of Jesus. But as I read this, I think about it, and I wonder... Is that our reality? Because I don't know about you, but I come to church and sometimes I don't feel loved. No, I say this in an honest, real way, but sometimes I know, and I've talked to many of you, that you say, I don't, you know, I come to church and I do my duty and I do what I'm meant to do, but I don't always feel like I come, I leave the place encouraged and built up. Let's be real. I'm sure everyone in this place could say that. And that's okay to be honest. Because I, it, I've been sort of juggling this around because I've been wondering why don't we always develop genuine, encouraging, loving relationships within the church like Hebrews tells us to? Why is that? Why, why do we sometimes fall short of that? Why do we... Why do we not reach what God is calling us to? You see, I think part of the problem is that in today's church, not just this church, but the wider church, and the, especially the Western church, is we've got comfortable in doing church like this. It's easy, isn't it? Every week I'm going to come together with my brothers and sisters. We're going to sing some amazing songs and it feels good and it's wonderful. I love it. And then someone gets up and shares the word and it, yep, that's good. And I've, I've done it. And it's just, it's easy. It's nice. We've worked it out. You know, this, this, this and this. And that's church. That's what it's like. But I don't know about you. I don't feel like, especially after having three months of lockdown, 
I don't feel like that's enough sometimes. It needs to be more. I don't want to just do church. I don't just want to sing some songs and have a nice word. I want to live a life of encouragement. I want to live a life of love. I want to live this type of agape love of laying your life. I want to follow Jesus. You see, another problem that I see we have in the modern church is that sometimes a big problem that we have is all we see ourselves as is attenders or volunteers in God's kingdom. I'm on on the coffee roster tonight, so I better make sure I'm at church. I'm doing this tonight, so I better make sure I'm at church. I'm volunteering, I'm giving some of my time, which is wonderful. I'm not saying that's not good. But if if all we see ourselves as volunteers and attenders, then we forget what we're really called to be. Because I really believe if we're going to be a a loving, encouraging community, we need to understand what it really means to be members of God's church. What it really means when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, as he commands us to. You see, unfortunately, in the modern church, sometimes we're no different to any other social club out there. Sometimes we're no different to the North Haven Footy Club across the road. I come along, meet with my mates, we do something productive, and then we go home. Sometimes we're no different to the Largs Bay RSL down down the road. Because I believe sometimes, as churches, we've sacrificed the message of discipleship for the convenience of volunteerism. Jesus called us to be disciples. He never called us to be volunteers. He called us to lay our lives down for him. He called us to follow him. He described it in exactly that way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up a cross and follow me. He didn't say you need to volunteer two hours on a Sunday once a week and, and, you know, I know you're time poor, so that's fantastic. Thank you for that lovely sacrifice. No, he didn't call us to that. He called us to live for him all the time, to follow him in everything we do. Now, I say this categorically, and I know the church, the Port Church leadership are on board. I know you guys are on board as well, but you know that the Port Church believes wholeheartedly that we are a church that doesn't just exist for Sundays. The reason we do things like pop-up, the reason we do things like youth and other things, um, and, and we encourage you daily, is we know that the church is about being a church without walls, being a church that's 24-7, 365 days a year. We are always the church. We don't switch it off. We are always the church. We are always disciples of Jesus. That's what we're called to. You know our vision. Our vision states clearly that... Um, I've got to remember it now. Our vision states clearly that we're here to live like Jesus lived. That's what we exist for. And this is the reality of it. So if we believe that as a church, that we're here to live like Jesus lived, then everything we do is to be like Jesus. Everything we do is to be Jesus to a world that is broken and hurting. That we're at, when we're here on Sundays, I need to live like Jesus lived. But when I get up tomorrow morning, 
and I go to uni or I go to my job or I go to school, my responsibility is to live like Jesus lived. I need to be aware of that. This is what God has called us to. And so Jesus has called us to live as his disciples with all of our lives. He's not called us to live as volunteers with some of our lives. I want to share with you from Romans 12, because this is how Paul describes the church. And I think in it is, is the key to us beginning to understand what we are called to as members of the body of Christ. Or in other words, as disciples of Jesus. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. That's the church. We are all parts of his one body. And each of us has a different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others. This is the body of Christ. So when we talk about being in a loving, encouraging community, these are the reasons for it. So tonight I want to share with you just quickly three things that we need to understand that we are as members of Jesus' body. And I hope as you listen to this, it will inspire you and encourage you and remind you what Jesus has called you to do as his disciples. The first thing we learn from this passage is that an encouraging church understands, number one, we need one another. It can't be done by one alone. You belong to something bigger than yourself. You see, we need to understand that when we come into a relationship with God, we are not only becoming a part of Him, we are becoming a part of His body, His family, which is pretty amazing because that explains to us that we're not just called to believe in God. We're called to belong in God. To belong to God, which means that we belong to each other. Think about it this way. In the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam. And so you would imagine it's God and his creation, Adam. And you would think, there's no sin. There's nothing else. You think, must be perfect. What else do you want? Me and God. What else do I need? That's perfect. Anyone thought that? All I need is God. That's all. You know what God said to Adam? It's not good for man to be alone. Guess what? You and God is not enough. Does that blow your mind? We preach that. You, all you need is God. Well, the reality is, no, God is all you need. But God says, you need me and I'm giving you people to help you need me. Do you like it? Because I know a lot of people go, I don't need church. I don't need that because all I need is God. Me and God, we're good. But God would say to you, it's not good for man to be alone. We need each other. 
Rick Warren says it this way in his book, The 40 Days of Purpose. We were created for community, fashioned for fellowship, and formed for family. And none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. The second thing an encouraging church understands is that we need to respect one another. Every part has a function another can't do. So you not only belong, but you have something to contribute. Do you like that? You have something to give. You see, the idea of membership, like the idea of agape love, is a Christian principle. It's something that they didn't talk about before, before the early church existed. But when the early church started talking about being the body of Christ and where each, each, part, each member has its part to play, we began to develop this concept of being a member of something. Today you might be a member of Spotlight. don't know why I keep picking Spotlight, but maybe it's Spotlight. But may, you might be a member of Spotlight. And you go there and they go, are you a Spotlight member? Oh, yes I am. Here's my card. Oh, you get some loyalty points. I shop there often. But, uh, but the fact is, that's not membership. Because the only expectation they have of you is to spend money in their shop. That's not membership. That's not the membership that was originally conceived within the Bible, where membership is about being a part of something bigger than yourself. But not only being a part of it, but realizing I have something to contribute, I have something to give. And each of us has something to give that is just as important as what I have something to give. You see, the Apostle Paul in the scripture I read before about the body is explaining to us that we are part of a, uh, we are a vital part or a, a member of his body. Each part is indispensable and interconnected. Each part of us needs the other parts we rely on one another this is the exciting thing uh, that we are all a cell or a, a finger or a, an arm I don't know some of us might want to be a kidney whatever you are you're a part and guess what if those parts aren't there then we're not a whole body we need each part doing its part because God has given each of us a role to play and this is really important that we need to understand that every role is important. Every role is indispensable. Even the Bible talks about even the bits that nobody wants to talk about, we need. They're indispensable. So I might stand up here and you might think, well, you must be the most important part of the body because you're the pastor. No. I have different responsibilities. I have to answer to God for my role, and that means, but that doesn't mean I'm more important than any other role. Every one of us is required. Every one of us is needed, and that we need to respect that. You, you know, people often talk about you need to honour and respect the pastor. Yes, you do, but you also need to honour and respect Mary here, who doesn't have a title, but she's still as vital as me. She is as important as me. If we can get a grasp of this, it will revolutionize our church. Then we will understand why it's so important to gather together and encourage one another. Because if you're down, I'm down. If you're down, I can't do what I've been called to do. We need each other. 
the last thing an, underst- uh, an encouraging church understands is that we need to rely on one another. As I just said, if one part suffers, we all suffer. Interdependence is the key to a healthy body. The key to a healthy body is interdependence, every part working together. It's not independence. I don't need anyone else. I can do it all on my own. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. It's interdependence. We need each other. If one part suffer, we all suffer. It's as simple as that. Anyone ever stubbed their little toe? If you stub your little toe in the middle of the night when you're trying to get to the toilet and you bump into something, tell me, you cannot tell me your whole body does not suffer. As well as probably wetting yourself on along the way <laughs> because you're in so much pain and you don't get to the toilet in time. But the fact is, if you break a little toe, you, your whole body suffers. You're limping around for weeks. And, you go, and if you touch that, oh, that's agony. Isn't that true? But who ever thinks of their little toe until you hurt it? Isn't that right? The fact is, each one of us is just as important as that little toe. Because if one of us suffer, we all suffer. Because the truth is, if, if I lose a member on my body, imagine I lose an arm. Number one, the arm uh, is disconnected and the arm will not survive. But my body then is less effective, sadly. And I don't mean to belittle that. I know someone who's lost their arm. It's a reality. And he'll tell you the truth. He, is, he works hard, but he can't be as effective as he once was. He m- tries to make up and compensate for it, and he does an amazing job. But the fact is, he can't operate to his full capacity. And that's, sadly, that's the church often. We cannot operate to our full capacity because we've got members that have been disconnected. We've got members that aren't uh, pulling their weight. We've got members that aren't living God's plan for their life. And God says it's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to take up the call to help every member achieve what it needs to achieve, to be who it's ne- it needs to be. And there's a beautiful story I want to close with tonight. And it's in John 13. And Jesus shows us an amazing example of what it looks like to follow him. Of what it looks like to be an encouraging, loving church. To what it it looks like to, to support those members around you who might be doing it tough or might be struggling. And how we can build them up and lift them up. I want to read it for you. It's in John 13, it's 1 to 17 if you want to read it on your own. I've abridged it a bit, made it a bit shorter um, to focus on what I really want to focus on tonight. But it says there, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Can you like that? Right now, 
He knows his time was coming and he loved his disciples and so he didn't want to just tell them about loving them but he wanted to show them that he loved them. That's agape love right there. It's not love that's just flowery and nice. It's love that has actions and is real. And the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. Now this, understand this. So Jesus knew he had all authority and power. He could do anything. He could literally heal any sickness that they had or anything they wanted he could do for them. And this is what he chose to do for them. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. It says there, poured water into a basin and, the began, and then began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. And then a bit later it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Think of this picture. Your, your master, your leader, your teacher, your boss walks in the room and says, I want to show you how much I appreciate you and how much I love you. And in this culture, nothing more could do that than washing someone else's feet, taking the place of a servant and washing someone's feet. This is the amazing thing that Jesus did, and he even did it. You can consider this for a moment. This is another message in itself, but he did it to Judas as well. He washed Judas's feet, knowing full well Jesus was going to betray him and already set it in part place. It's amazing. But we need to understand this. Jesus' love went beyond words. His love was shown in his actions. You see, we need to understand that we're in this together. And just like Jesus washed his disciples' feet, we, as he says in this passage, we are called to wash one another's feet. If we're called to be his disciples, then that's what we're called to do. So when Hebrews 10 talks about encouraging one another and spurring one another on, what's he saying? He's saying, when you're together, wash one another's feet. The literal translation of encourage in the original Greek is sharpen one another. We're to sharpen one another. You've all heard the saying, iron sharpens iron. So when we're together, we sharpen one another. What's that mean? We make each other better. You see, our goal should be 
that you're a better person because I'm in your life. I want you to be better. Even to my detriment, I want you to be better. See, a lot of people would have mocked Jesus and thought, what sort of leader are you washing your own disciples' feet? But he's going, I want them to be better. There's going to become times in their life when they're going to struggle and there's going to be persecution and there's going to be all sorts of difficulties that they face. But I want them to remember how much I love them. And I want them to remember back to the time where I was willing to wash their feet so that they would know how much I love them. This is the sort of encouragement that Jesus has called us to as his disciples. Not as his volunteers, not as people who give a little bit of their life to him, but people who give their whole life to him. That we would live for others, that we would wash one another's feet, that we would make time to serve one another, to live for others, to see others be better, to even put others' needs before our own, as Jesus did right then. Jesus is about, he knows he's about to go back to the Father, which he means he knows he's going to get crucified, he knows he's going to his death. At that time, you would think, well, Jesus, take some time out for yourself. You're going to a tough time. You're about to save the world. You, you need to take some time out, withdraw, spend some time with the Father. No, he put the needs of his disciples before his own. And he says, follow my example. So tonight, we're going to close, and we're going to close a little bit differently. But I want to leave you with some questions to think upon, and I want to actually get you to give me some answers. Because I hope in this time as I've talked, you've thought about, well, what sort of encouragement has God called me to? And so I've got a couple of questions to throw at you to think about. The first one is, what are some ways we can wash one another's feet? And the last one is, how can we encourage one another beyond just words? You see, I can get up here and, and I don't discount what happened in the worship at all. That was amazing. It was fantastic. The words of encouragement for little Joel and, that, and what others have said about having child, we need that. It builds us up. But if that's all we're relying on, it won't sustain us because we, we then have to actually put action to our belief in Joel. You know, just saying, oh, yeah, we actually have to do something to show him that we actually mean what we're saying. Because at the end of the day, words can be cheap if you're not willing to back it with actions. And this, this is, I'm just being real, being honest. This is what we call, how can we wash one another's feet? So I want to throw the challenge out to you.